Hey, it's Jason Mark. Back in 2013, we answered a question about the history of a notorious asylum on Chicago's far northwest side. Officially known as Cook County Infirmary, and later known as Chicago State Hospital, generations of Chicagoans knew it simply by the area it was located in, Dunning. Nine years later, we continue to get questions and comments about the place. I remember my mom, when I was a kid, she showed me how to make corners on making a bed. And I said, where'd you learn that? And she said, well, in the hospital. That's Roger Metcalf. During the Great Depression of the 1930s, his parents worked at Dunning and even lived on the grounds for several years. Coming up, we'll hear a few other things Roger remembers from his one visit to the site and some things his folks told him. But first, reporter Robert Lorzell brings us the story of this infamous institution. That's next. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation, plus MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. Chicagoans were scared of Dunning. Just uttering the word aloud could give people the chills. Whenever someone would act a little nutsy, any of the kids, we'd say, oh, got to send them to Dunning. If you and your brothers and sisters don't behave, we'll send you to Dunning. And that used to scare kids because they knew that it was a mental institution. That's Ross Goodrich and Stephen Hill. As kids, they were freaked out by the place. But today, Goodrich and Hill are trying to learn more about Dunning. That's because both of them had great-grandparents who were sent there. You can think of this place as the prototypical evil, dark asylum of literature. Joseph Mayer is a psychologist in Springfield. He's researched the history of mental institutions in Illinois, including Dunning. The food was terrible. It was weevil-filled, and people didn't get the kind of medical care they ought to get for many, many years. It was really a uh, terrible place. It was on Chicago's northwest side, at the corner of Irving Park Road and Narragansett Avenue. Everyone called it Dunning, but that was actually just the name of a family that owned nearby land. In its early years, the institution was technically called the Cook County Infirmary. County officials opened it in 1853 as a home for the area's poorest people. In some ways, it's almost similar to what we have today in the sense that we have uh, a lot of people who are homeless and living on the streets, and, and a significant proportion of them are people who are mentally ill. In 1870, the county added an insane asylum at Dunning. But it wasn't a place where those with mental illness could find any hope or solace. Patients were abused. At least one was beaten to death. 
and supervisors, they used the asylum's money to pay for lavish parties. Neighborhood historian Al Opitz says Dunning was run by corrupt county officials. Up until about 1895, everybody was a political hiree. So consequently, they had nobody to report to except the political boss. And a lot of people were, ah, they were mistreated, I guess, a nice way of putting it. A Cook County judge called Dunning, quote, a tomb for the living. In the 1890s, Chicago newspapers reported stories of people sent to live inside this tomb. Some were hearing voices. One man cut off his right hand in a fit of religious mania. One woman refused to eat, saying everything was poisoned. Another man thought he was Jesus Christ. Chicago native Ross Goodrich says his great-grandmother was sent to Dunning after one of her children died. When the baby died, my great-grandmother rocked the baby for a couple of days, wouldn't let it out of her arms. Goodrich says it could have been a case of postpartum depression. If uh, she was having mental difficulties of any kind, I'm not sure that there were any other places available in those days for her to go. Another Chicagoan, Stephen Hill, says it was a bit of a mystery why his great-grandfather ended up in Dunning. I believe that the term that they used was dementia, and they obviously didn't use the term Alzheimer's, not knowing anything about this. Hill says his family never spoke of what happened to his great-grandfather. Life was so tough for immigrants back then. People did not talk about the rough lifestyles they had and how poor they were, but I do know they had a very, very tough life. The state of Illinois took control of Dunning in 1912 and changed the name to Chicago State Hospital, and gradually treatment improved for those with mental illness. But the hospital was still overcrowded. In 1970, the state moved patients to a nearby facility called the Chicago Reed Mental Health Center. The state shut down Dunning and sold off the property. Crews later tore down what that county judge called a tomb for the living. But there was another chapter in Dunning's story. In 1989, construction workers made a gruesome discovery. Archaeologist David Keene was called at the site. The uh, developer was putting in a sewer and water line in the street right over here. And he hit this corner, and when he, the uh, backhoe operator was digging, pulled up a corpse, the top half of a corpse, which still had clothing on and was in fairly uh, good state of preservation. Keene was hired to figure out why skeletons were turning up on Dunning's land. He learned three cemeteries were hidden underground. They were potter's fields for poor people who couldn't afford burials anywhere else. According to one estimate, 38,000 bodies are still there. Keene says state officials didn't pay much attention to the old graveyards when they constructed new hospital buildings beginning in 1912. And at the time, there was no law to stop them from doing that. As far as we can tell from the archaeological evidence, the state came in and removed any surface evidence of uh, burials in the entire area and began an active building campaign well into the 1960s. During that period, they actually built right on top of graves. Today, a modest memorial park marks the spot where thousands were buried. 
for some, though, the Dunning Memorial is too modest. We're talking about Civil War vets. We're talking about Chicago fire victims. We're talking about every single orphan that was left at a hospital. Every single child that died in the hospitals that had nobody claim them. Local resident Sylvia Clavens Barsony runs a Facebook page about Dunning. And the more research I did, the more I felt that the story needs to get out. Because most of the people that were taken here, and then after that, most of the people that were buried here, are people that were forgotten in life. They were just left, or disposed of, or hidden. And if that's how they live their lives, how dare we allow them to live their afterlife like that? Clavens Barsony wants to see landscaping added to the park and a more substantial marker to honor the dead. That's likely to be a tough battle because the state owns the land. For now at least, she can thank Mike Dotson for asking us this question about Dunning. It's shed at least a little more light on this dark chapter of the city's past. And it's a reminder that the unfortunate souls buried there have not been completely forgotten. Thanks to Robert Lorzell for that reporting. Since we first did this story in 2013, there's been no change in the memorial. In fact, Sylvia Clavens Barshney, who started the Facebook page about Dunning, says the memorial plaques have faded a bit over time and the beautiful garden she imagined doesn't exist. One local historian has created a searchable database that contains the name of some of those buried in one of the mass graves discovered at the site. He was quoted in an article in the Chicago Tribune saying, These poor people were forgotten, but they don't have to be forgotten anymore. And as I mentioned earlier, here at Curious City, people with a personal connection to Dunning have continued to reach out over the years. We'll hear from one of them next. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hasia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at haciaworks.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Roger Metcalf's a retired school teacher from the southern tip of Illinois, close to Evansville, Indiana. He says his parents told him that work was scarce in their part of the state back in the 1930s, so they were forced to look for jobs farther north. They first found work at a hospital in Michigan, then at Dunning here in Chicago. They heard a position open in Chicago, and in 1930, they started working at Chicago State Hospital, it was called. And I always remember them quite often saying they made $63 per month, and they had room and some board there in the 10 years that they worked there. Roger's parents often talked about their time working at Dunning while Roger was growing up, and it wasn't an easy job. Anything from uh, 
emptying bedpans to uh, making beds. I remember my mom, when I was a kid, she showed me how to make corners on making a bed. And I said, where'd you learn that? And she said, well, in the hospital. Once in a while, something fun would happen inside the hospital. My mother, she worked on a ward, of course, with uh, female patients. And she had Benny Goodman's sister as one of her patients. She said all the nurses there wanted to be on duty the day that Benny Goodman came to visit his sister because he would always tip the nurses who were on duty. But the job could also be a little dangerous. They did not describe it as a prison. It's just that patients were locked up. I remember mom telling about dad would often come home with his shirt ripped from the handling of patients there. By the time Roger was born, his parents didn't work there anymore, but he does remember making a trip to visit in 1960 when he was 15. I remember the grounds being very immaculate and everything was well mowed. All the buildings, as I remember, were red brick and uh, everything looked nice from the outside, although I never did see anything inside of any building. Dunning had been around since the 1870s, but after Roger and his parents visited, it would only be open for another 10 years. One quick thing before we finish today's episode. The weather is getting cooler and the days are getting darker and that means we're getting close to one of our favorite times of the year, Halloween. And we need your help. Do you suspect your own house is haunted? Maybe those scary noises or strange occurrences have prompted you to take some action. Perhaps you've dug into the history of your home and found something revealing. Those are the kinds of stories that intrigue us, and we want to hear from you. If your story makes a shiver, Curious City might come out to see you and your otherworldly visitors. Leave us a voicemail message at 888-789-7752. That's 888-789-7752. Or you can find us online at wbez.org slash haunted houses. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. Anna Mason contributed reporting for this episode. Joe Dassault and I produced the show. Adriana Cardona-Magigat is our reporter. Maggie Sivet is our digital and engagement producer. And Alexandra Solomon is our editor. I'm Jason Mark. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.